Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest on the Archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis's compensating victims of priest sex abuse and a detailed look at the most recent Minnesota homeless report. But first... Officer Yanez's use of deadly force against Philando Castile during the July 6th stop was not necessary, was objectively unreasonable, and was inconsistent with generally accepted police practices. Ramsey County Attorney John Choi made the announcement on Wednesday that Officer Euronimo Yanez would be charged with second-degree manslaughter in the shooting death of 32-year-old Philando Castile. In his news conference, Choi detailed what happened after Yanez pulled Castile over for a broken taillight in Falcon Heights on July 6th. Officer Yanez asked Castile to produce his driver's license and proof of insurance. Castile first provided him with his insurance card. Castile then calmly and in a non-threatening manner informed Officer Yanez, Sir, I have to tell you that I do have a firearm on me. Before Castile completed the sentence, Officer Yanez interrupted and calmly replied, Okay and placed his right hand on the holster of his own holstered gun. Officer Yanez then said, okay, don't reach for it then. Castile tried to respond, but was interrupted by Officer Yanez, who said, don't pull it out. Castile responded, I'm not pulling it out. And Reynolds also responded by saying, He's not pulling it out. Then Officer Yanez screamed, don't pull it out, and quickly pulled his own gun with his right hand while he reached inside the driver's side window with his left hand. Officer Yanez pulled his left arm out of the car and then fired seven shots in rapid succession into the vehicle. The seventh and final shot was fired at 9.06 and 2 seconds p.m. After the final shot, Reynolds frantically yelled, you just killed my boyfriend. Philando Castile moaned and uttered his final words. I wasn't reaching for it. Following Choi's announcement, John Thompson, who worked with Castile, had this to say. I'm happy, I'm sad, because it's not going to bring Philando back. Thompson says the charges from Ramsey County Attorney Choi are a step in the right direction for justice, but... When I say we do not trust the police, when those lights come on behind my car, man, every day I am in fear for my life. Philando Castile's mother said the family was pleased with the decision to prosecute the officer who fatally shot her son. Valerie Castile says now another chapter begins. We have gotten to this point and it is necessary for everyone to understand that we want peace. We don't want any protests to get outrageous and I support protests but 
It's a manner to have things done. The day Choi announced the charges, there was a protest at the school where Philando Castile worked before he was shot and killed. The protesters say they'll continue to demonstrate until there's a conviction. On Wednesday, the Philando Castile family's attorney, Judge Glenda Hatchett, called the charges against the officer who shot and killed Castile historic, but she says the question remains... What more could this young man have done than he did that day? And it begs, it begs, it begs for the attention of this community and the nation because this was not right. We'll continue to follow the story as it develops. More Minnesota Matters after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The legal battle over compensating victims of priest sex abuse continued this week as the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis proposed to the court a new bankruptcy plan with more potential money for survivors. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, what prompted this? Scott, Archdiocese officials say they have settlements with 11 of their 13 insurance companies and the new proposal, compared to the original plan, they say, will more than double to over $133 million, the amount of money available to compensate victims. Archdiocese attorney Charles Rogers says, We're very pleased to report that we have almost $100 million in insurance recoveries. A tremendous sum. Um, and I don't believe that anyone under these circumstances could negotiate a better deal. Victims attorney Jeff Anderson says not so. Overall, there's $120 million in insurance money, even though we know. And it's documented that there is up to $1 billion in insurance money available to the archdiocese if they really want to step up and have their insurers step up, which they have chosen not to do. Instead, they've chosen to hide, to deceive, to mislead, to not be transparent, and chosen not to be accountable. Archdiocese Attorney Rogers responds. All of the available assets of the Archdiocese have been ushered together. There is no other asset that hasn't been brought forward. As to whether it's enough, uh, I can assure you, at least for, in judgment of the attorneys representing the Archdiocese, these are the best settlements we could achieve under these circumstances. The insurance that is being added to this lets the insurance companies off the hook. And they've made a deal with the insurance companies to let them off the hook. With the insurance companies, they have to allow us to negotiate with them directly so that the insurance companies pay their fair share. And in this plan, the insurance companies are required to pay $120 million, 
instead of what they could pay and should be pay is up to one billion. And between the two, the insurance companies and the archdiocese, this plan falls so far short, it has to be called out for what it is, deficient. Archdiocese Attorney Rogers. If ultimately the court, uh, if, the, if the victims or, or creditors don't vote for approval and if the court otherwise doesn't impose this plan, then we'll have to look at alternatives. One alternative that's been uh, furthered by the creditors committee is what I would call a go-to-loan plan. Where the archdiocese gets out of bankruptcy by itself and does not uh, provide for any relief for parishes. That would mean in this plan that all of those, most all of the insurance settlements would be voided, would be contributed towards this plan. There would be maybe less than $20 million available to reimburse sexual abuse claimants. And then there would be an assignment of rights to recovery under those policies, and all that would be insured is years upon years of litigation. The assertion that it will result in years and years of litigation will only be because it was the archdiocese that chooses not to tell the truth, to disclose their assets, and to work with the survivors uh, and the survivors committee to come to a fair resolution. Are you going to be able to get as much leverage with these insurance companies individually through litigating as they might be able to get uh, collectively as the archdiocese against their insurers? If you go to that litigation route, um, aren't you potentially risking that the total settlement for victims might be less? We know how to settle with them when we have them at the table and um, at the courthouse steps. And, um, and they will be required to pay if we're given the opportunity to make them pay fair value. That's Victims Attorney Jeff Anderson. And Scott, there is a court hearing set for December 15th when presumably the judge will decide how this case will proceed. We'll certainly follow up on that as the story develops. Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? On getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. 
And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2015 Wilder Research Homelessness Study was released this week. MN's Tasha Radel dives into the data and takes a look at how it's impacting Minnesotans across the state. Joining me now is Michelle Gerard, Senior Research Manager at Wilder Research. Michelle, I understand the homeless study goes back a few years. Yeah, we've been doing the study every three years since 1991, and it's a statewide study. So we go to every emergency shelter, domestic violence shelter, and transitional housing um, facility in the state. And we also use volunteers to help us find people who are um, not staying in shelter, who are homeless and staying in other locations. So this is really a frontline type of a study, not your typical, perhaps, telephone or online survey. Right. It's a face-to-face, in-person interview. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes, um, and it really is getting to know a homeless person. We have volunteers who do the interviews, so they really get to hear the story. But it's a social science interview. It's structured questions, and they we've been asking pretty much the same questions over the last uh, 26 years or so. Well, let's dive in. Let's start with the good news. Yeah, we have two bits of good news. We saw that homelessness was down for the first time um, since 2006, um, and so that's really good news. Uh, it decreased by about 9%. Um, between 2012 and 2015, after a sharp increase um, during the time of the recession. So between 2006 and 2012, it went up, and now we're starting to see a decline, which is good news. There's been a lot of targeted efforts to to help house homeless people, um, although we're still seeing about 9,300 people um, that we counted as homeless on the night of the study. Has an improved economy played a role? Yeah, we do see that the people in the most vulnerable positions with the most challenges tend to get housing sort of last um, because they're competing for a really tight rental market with um, people that have higher incomes and more resources. So it does tend to have a triple-down effect, but the, the improvements in the economy are, are helping um, folks who are experiencing homelessness. We've also seen improvements in their uh, employment rates. So their employment rates have gone up um, to about 30% who are employed with 14% who are employed full-time. 40,000 Minnesotans experience homelessness each year. This really surprised me. Yeah, we use our one-night study snapshot um, to come up with a way of estimating how many homeless people there are on any given night. So we have about 15,000 people who are homeless on any given night of the year. Um, And then we estimate that about 40,000 people are homeless over the course of the year. So our study tends to pick up just people who are in shelter, um, tends to be for more 
longer periods of time, but we have ways of estimating the total homeless population over the course of the year. This really shocked me. 35% of homeless women in Minnesota are homeless as a result of domestic abuse. Yeah, this is a really serious issue that we do want to highlight because we did see a jump in this number um, between 2012 and 2015. Um, And we are concerned about the impact of of domestic violence. Uh, We had a full half of our our, our homeless women population who reported that they had to stay in an abusive um, relationship because they had nowhere else to live. And then 35% who were homeless directly as a result of domestic violence in this episode. This really made my heart heavy. Children and their parents represent 35% of the overall homeless population and remain the most likely age group to be homeless. Exactly. Yeah. So about 3,300 children are homeless with their parents. So they tend to be younger, but half of them are five or younger. So those are uh, young children with their families and, and usually young parents as well. So we do have a, a issue with family homelessness um, and those kids are at risk. They tend to, um, children who grow up in, in, in homeless situations tend to have um, other problems um, because of that housing instability. We do have 16% of our um, population, our youth, who are on their own without their parents. And when we look at their backgrounds and experiencing, it's usually not um, youth who just, you know, want to go out because they want their freedom. Um, They usually have a lot of um, childhood issues such as abuse and neglect um, and other problems that they've experienced in their home. Um, Some of them were homeless with their families and they just sort of got older and they all couldn't fit in the same housing anymore. You know, and some of them also have experienced violence as well. When I think of someone that's homeless, I tend to, I guess, assume that they don't have a job. That's really not the case. Right. And I think that's something unexpected that people um, don't realize that a lot of people are still working while in shelter. Um, We do have 30% 30 that are employed, 14% are employed full time, and this is basically a high since the before the recession. Um, and so people are still going to their jobs. When we do the survey, sometimes we can't find people because they're at work, um, but they're not making enough um, to be able to pay for affordable housing. And the housing that's available is not affordable enough. So the full Wilder Research Homeless Study can be found at mnhomeless.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The holidays are upon us, and while the season can be a time of joy, 
it can also be a time of anxiety. I recently spoke with Park Nicollet mental health therapist Emily Ross about how to prepare and how to have a healthy holiday despite the stress. You know, it is. It's, it can be very stressful because sometimes old family dynamics come out and we revert to our old roles, um, which doesn't feel good all the time. Um, so I really encourage people to manage their expectations around the holidays. So is it reasonable that we're expecting this to be warm, uh, easy, and fun? Or would pa- the past indicate that perhaps this might be more of a tense gathering? Or perhaps the election is going to make this a little bit more of a stressful gathering because there are um, different uh, or different views politically. So to manage your expectations um, is certainly a really helpful way to help reduce stress. Also, having an exit strategy is always wise. So that could be like bringing a stroller over um, and being able to say, hey, we're going to leave for a little bit and go take a walk. Um, Not getting parked in, planning for a hotel rather than maybe staying with your in-laws, for example. Um, I've encouraged people to really avoid talking about the election and maybe even contact the family you're going to Thanksgiving with ahead of time to make sure that that's a ground rule that everyone agrees on. Um, We can respond, though, to people who might bring up the election with humor. So saying something like, oh, you're killing me. I'm not going to go there. Or, oh, we don't want to get into this. We're, we're, we're both not going to come out of this looking so good if, if we start going down this road. Using humor can be a great way to diffuse tension. Um, being mindful of alcohol consumption. Sometimes if we've uh, had a little bit too much to drink, we'll say things that we regret later. So being mindful of that can be very helpful. Um, Having some lighthearted topics prepared. So um, when someone tries to bring up something heavy, you know, maybe talk about a movie that you went to or a recent hiking trail that you took that you really loved um, and, and share that information. And certainly always remembering the whole purpose of the holiday, which is to sort of celebrate, share together and practice gratitude. Um, you may find a way that your family is going to express gratitude together. So that might be um, you could have a gratitude jar and you all put in um, something that you feel grateful for and you read them at the table together or just going around and sharing one thing or a couple things that you're grateful for can be a really good way to remember why we're all coming together in the first place. You know, Emily, the the image of the holidays is often presented in in movies and literature as such a kind of a warm time uh, of family get together. But I think most of us recognize the reality of it is never uh, quite as as soft, focused, fuzzy as it seems in in movies and things like that. Uh, What do people need to do to come to terms with that? Absolutely. That's a really good question. I think that goes back to this idea of managing our expectations. The truth is for more people, holidays are stressful (laughs) than they are warm and fuzzy. So to know that you're not alone in feeling a little bit of tension or stress around the holidays um, and just being really clear about what you're setting yourself up for um, and also having a plan, a post-holiday plan. So how are you going to de-stress? If, if you're going to um, your parents' house and that's a really stressful place, or you're going to your in-laws or your, your siblings and that's going to be a tense time, what are you going to do for yourself or with your immediate family? Maybe you plan a movie night together. So, you know, after you do the holiday thing, you can come home and have some together time um, to diffuse some of that that tense energy. And when we spoke about dealing with post-election anxiety and stress, one of the things that you mentioned was exercise and and trying Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself in in a physical way, which can help you mentally. I, I would assume the same principle applies here. 
Absolutely. Energy, um, excuse me, exercise is always an incredible way to diffuse stress energy. Um, neurochemically, we have research that shows us that. So anytime that you're feeling increased stress, going for a walk um, or exercising in a way that feels good to you um, and your body is a really excellent way to help reduce some of the, the stress hormones that we all experience. You know, in addition to also dealing with the stress that we have in our interactions with family and friends at this time of year, it seems like it's somewhat compounded by the fact that there's so much running around to do and cooking to do and things like that. Um, what would what would be your advice in dealing with some of that other stress that's, that's less uh, personality-related and more just uh, prioritizing time-related? Yeah, well, I think different people approach you know, planning for um, busy times of years in, di- in different ways. So for some of us, it might be really helpful to literally write out a plan for how different tasks are going to be accomplished and on what timeline. For other people, that might not work at all, and they might need to be more spontaneous. Um, but, you know, being aware that Anytime that's busy, we're going to have increased stress and then making a plan no matter what to practice self-care around those times. So if we have to be busy, that's fine, but we can all make time for what's important to us. Um, And if that means a yoga class, if that means a walk with your dog, if that means, you know, whatever you do to de-stress a little bit after the busyness is over, or even if it's just over for that day and it starts again tomorrow, making sure that you're really intentional about incorporating that into your routine. And if folks really do feel overwhelmed by anxiety at this time of year, what resources are there out there for them? Where can they reach out for help if they need it? Yeah, absolutely. So what professionals will be looking for is, you know, a period of, you know, stress, anxiety, or other mental health symptoms that are lasting more than two weeks in duration and that are really impacting your overall functioning. So making it difficult to go to work and execute the tasks that you usually would, or making it difficult to care for your kids at home. Um, And if that's something people are experiencing, they should contact their insurance carrier and look for a provider that's within network um, and, you know, schedule an intake. There's also a lot of hotlines available that differ by county and region, Um, just warm lines, places that people can call um, and get some support, someone on the other end of the phone, um, and even just bounce ideas off and say, is this something that I really need to get help for, or am I just feeling really stressed and anxious right now? Thank you to my guest, Emily Ross from Park Nicollet. Switching gears here a bit as we wrap up this week's show, I would guess there are about a billion or so people who have been pondering what happened one week ago Tuesday, Election Day, and MN's Bill Werner is among them. Why did the election come out the way it did? As we try to figure that out, we risk falling into the trap that H.L. Mencken warned of, that for every complex problem there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. But let's try anyway. We know with fair certainty that those who tipped the balance in one of the most stunning political upsets in American history were relatively few in number. Witness the disagreement between the popular vote, which elected one candidate, and the Electoral College, which elected the other in one of the still incomprehensible anomalies of American democracy. At least one analyst has suggested that the people who changed everything in this election were and are quiet people. They kept their own counsel, unlike the ones visible before the vote was taken. The enthusiasm is entirely behind Trump, not behind Hillary Clinton. We are going to win Ohio. We are going to win Florida. We are going to win Pennsylvania. And I think that there's a possibility we could even win Minnesota. And unlike those who despaired after the decision was finally made. We don't want Trump! 
The tippers of the balance, those silent Americans, came from many places. From cul-de-sacs in the suburbs, from their farms, maybe from trash-littered side streets in the cities, from their jobs, and from the unemployment line. They came quietly and, with the simple stroke of a pen in the voting booth, changed the course of a nation. And I suspect some of those people, maybe even many of them, once felt a connection to the political party, which is now licking its wounds after being caught like a deer in the headlights of the American electorate. That party and its candidate tried to speak to those people, but somehow the whole thing became like an orchestra in a fine hall playing grand phrases about the nobility of work. The audience fully satisfied that they were getting their hands dirty, while those who actually were could be found nowhere in sight. And those people, the people doing the work, continued every day digging the holes and putting the pipes in them, driving the trucks to bring needed things to us, driving people where they wanted to go on buses and trains and taxis, and driving pilings into the hard ground and building buildings on top of them so that people they would never meet could confer and issue orders way up on the 35th floor while the people who got their hands dirty stood in the street by themselves. And finally, when things got to the point that there was no other choice, those people parted ways from the powerful, who no longer seemed to be with them, and in what was probably even an act of faith, chose someone different, without being fully certain whether that new person would stand with them or ignore them, like all the rest had. It has been said that the voice of the people is the voice of God. H.L. Mencken said, Democracy is a pathetic belief in the collective wisdom of individual ignorance. We will see who's right. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.